0: Appendix Two continued of Home Education Series, Volume Three, School Education. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Wayne Cook. Home Education Series, Volume Three, School Education by Charlotte Mason. Appendix Two continued some specimens of examination work done in a school in which pupils are educated upon books and things class four girls are usually in class four for two or three years from fourteen or fifteen to seventeen after which they are ready to specialize and usually do well the program for class four is especially interesting it adds geology and astronomy to the sciences studied more advanced algebra to the mathematics and sets the history of modern europe instead of french history the literature to illustrate the history includes the reading of a good many books and the german and french books when possible illustrate the history studied all the books about forty are of a different caliber from those used in the lower classes they are books for intelligent students i think the reader will observe that due growth has taken place in the minds of the girls both as regards judgment and power of appreciation, not, I think, in intelligence. Quote, Love has no knowledge, nor the mind. End quote. But as our concern is with boys and girls under twelve, it will be enough to show by two or three papers that this sort of education by books results in intelligence. Question: For what purpose were priests instituted? Book studied. Dr. Abbott's Bible Lessons. In a. Aged fifteen and a half. The system of the Jewish priesthood was almost entirely symbolical. God ordained, we believe, to lead the primitive mind of his chosen people onwards and upwards to the true belief and earthly comprehension of that great sacrifice by the grace of which we are all now honored to become kings and priests unto God in the earliest times of the patriarchs there was in every holy and honorable jewish family some voluntary priest to offer up the burnt offerings and yearly sacrifices we have an example of this in job the patriarch who we read ministered to his family in the capacity of priest of their offerings in the wilderness however God commanded through Moses the foundation of a separate and holy priesthood to minister in his tabernacle, and offer his appointed sacrifices. The tribe of Levi and the family of Aaron were set apart for this purpose, and in the building of the tabernacle, and the anointing of Aaron and his four sons, the cornerstone was laid to that great building, which became a fit dwelling for the presence of God and the heart of Israel, until christ came to change and lighten the world and the symbol and the shadow became the truth question quote, "his power was to assert himself in deeds not words" end quote. write a short sketch of the character of cromwell discussing the above statement parentheses book studied green's shorter history of the english people end parentheses b aged 15 Cromwell was no orator. It has been said that if all his speeches were taken and made into a book, it would seem simply a pack of nonsense. In Parliament, though, the earnestness with which he spoke attracted attention. His deeds proved his innate power, which could not express itself in words. He may be called the inarticulate man. In his mind everything was clear, and his various actions proved his purposes and determinations. But in speaking, he simply brought out a hurried volume of words in the mazes of which one entirely lost the point meant to be implied. Cromwell also was more of an administrator than a statesman, unspeculative and conservative. He was subject to fits of hypochondria, which naturally had some effect on his character. He considered himself a servant of God, and acted accordingly. Undoubtedly he was under the conviction that he was carrying out the Lord's will in all he did. He was not in calm moods, a bloody man, but when his anger was kindled, he would spare no one. At times he would be filled with remorse for the part he had taken in the martyrdom of the king. Then, again, he would say it was the just punishment of heaven on Charles. In giving orders his words were curt and to the point, but in making speeches he adopted the phraseology of the Bible, which added to their ambiguity. One would think he was ambitious, for at one time he asked Whitelock, What if a man should take upon himself to be king, evidently having in view the regal power, and yet, according to his own assertion, he would rather have returned to his occupation as a farmer than to have undertaken the government of Britain. But in this, as in other acts, he recognized the call of God, as he thought, and obeyed it. Question what do you know of the giondans book studied lords modern europe c age seventeen the giondans were perhaps the most tolerant and reasonable of the revolutionary parties they were a body of men who found the government of france under the king more than they could stand and who were the first to welcome any changes but were shocked and horrified at the dreadful riots and massacres which followed the fall of the throne such a party representing justice and reform could not be popular with the more violent Jacobins and like clubs the day came when these latter were in power and all the girondins were thrown into prison they were all taken from prison before the court of justice for trial and placed before the judge where they sat quite silently they were one by one condemned to execution receiving the sentence of death with perfect calmness only their leader was seen to fall down one of his companions leant over him and said what are you afraid no was the answer jimond he had stabbed himself with his dagger as the girondins marched back to their cells condemned to die the next morning they all sang the marseillaise as they had arranged to tell their fellow prisoners what the sentence had been when they reached the prison a splendid supper was placed for them and they all sat down with great cheerfulness to eat it, none of them showing the least signs of breaking down. Towards morning priests were sent to them, and very early in the day they all marched to the foot of the guillotine, singing as they went. They kept on singing a solemn chant when the executions commenced, which became fainter and fainter, as one by one they were beheaded, until all were gone. Question Distinguish between arrogant and presumptuous, interference and interposition, genuine and authentic, hate and detest, loathe and abhor, education and instruction, apprehend and comprehend. Using each word in a sentence. Parentheses, book studied, trenches, study of words. and E. Aged fifteen. A man who is arrogant... Is a man who has right to what he wants, but who is harsh and exacting in taking it. A presumptuous man is a man who expects more than is due and takes it. Judge Jeffries was an arrogant old man. Charles II was a presumptuous king, he thought he could have absolute power. Interference is not minding your own business, and meddling with other peoples when we are not wanted. Interposition, is more the doing good by interfering, as protecting a little boy from a bully. But for the interference of James, all would have gone well. Thanks to the interposition of Mary, a quarrel was averted. Genuine means real, true, what it seems to be, as a real genuine ruby. Authentic in speaking of a book means really written by the author to which it is ascribed, Dickens-Oliver Twist is certainly authentic. You would hate a man who killed your father. Charles II hated Cromwell. You would detest a man who had not done you any personal injury, but who you knew to be a murderer. Yo detested the Spaniards. You would loathe a poisonous snake or a hypocrite. David Copperfield loathed Uriah Heep you would abhor a man inferior to you in intellect or principles, as a great king would abhor a cringing coward, leave him behind, go on without him, refuse to listen to him. Napoleon abhorred the traitor. Education is the lessons you receive as a matter of course, as French, writing, grammar. Instruction is this, but more also. It includes moral teaching, the teaching of honesty, and the teaching of gentleness. Henry had a good education. No well-instructed Briton is a coward. Apprehend is to see or hear and notice. Comprehend is to understand, without seeing or hearing, perhaps. Philip apprehended that danger was near, but he did not comprehend it. Question. Give shortly Carlyle's Estimate of Burns, showing what he did for Scotland, and what was the cause of his personal failure in life. Book studied. Carlyle's Essay on Burns. F. Aged seventeen. Carlyle looked upon Burns as one of the nicest of men and greatest of poets. Rather a weak man, perhaps, but covering all his faults with his genius and kindness of heart, clever and persevering, and basely neglected and shunned by his contemporaries. It is quite extraordinary to read the world-famous poems of this poet, and to remember that he was a ploughman, and surrounded only by the most uneducated peasants and fellow-labourers, though of course the life of a ploughman on the hills of Scotland is far more likely to encourage poetry and reflection than the life of many a London dentist or hairdresser far higher in rank. But it is easy to believe, in fact, that burns would have found inspiration for his genius in a flat sandy waste or a grocery shop and as carlyle says a man or woman is not a genius unless they are extraordinary not really inspired of such a person could have been imagined before robert burns has provided scotland for centuries at least with plenty of national poetry his poems are such as can be enjoyed like flowers and trees and all things really beautiful by old and young stupid and clever fishermen and prime ministers surely that is the work which any man would be proud burns chief fault if fault it can be called and the cause of his failure in life seems to have been a sort of bitterness against people more fortunate than himself without the art of hiding it this real or affected seems very common in poets and such an inspired man a man with a mind greater than kings must have felt very deeply almost without knowing it the unrefinedness of the people he loved best and his own distance from the admirers who clustered around him later in life all his life it seems he was in a place by himself now spending his time with his own family acting apart all day trying to make his relations feel him unequal, pretending to take a great interest in what he did not care for, the pigs, and cows, and porridge, seeing his own dearest friends looking at him with awe, and feeling him something above them, thinking of his great friends, and feeling embarrassed when he came, and more at ease without his presence. Now, on the other hand, associating with people high in rank and education, enjoying their friendship and praise, but feeling be they ever so kind and familiar that he was not their equal by birth and that they could not treat him quite as such however hard they might try turning familiarity in his mind into slights and kindness into condescension this to a proud man must have been misery and burns must have been very lonely in a crowd of companions thronged with admirers but without a friend Nobody understood Burns. He shared his opinions with no one he knew. When, at the beginning of the French Revolution, he expressed his delight and approval, the people who admired him were shocked, refused to speak to him, and regarded him either as mad or terribly wicked. His poems were not admired as much as they deserved to be. He had hardly any money, was never likely to get on in the world, was shunned and disgraced, and began, as a last resource— to drink too much ill health was one of his misfortunes and this intemperance killed him thus died at the age of thirty-seven poor friendless despised the man who has given pleasure to thousands and an undying collection of poems and songs to his country question give some account as far as you can in the style of Carlyle of the procession of May 4th, parentheses, book studied, Carlyle's French Revolution, parentheses. G, aged fourteen and a half, See the doors of Notre-Dame open wide, the procession issuing forth, a sea of human faces that are to reform France. First come the nobles in their gaily-tinted robes, next the clergy, and then the commons, the tiers-etat, in their slouched hats Firm and resolute, and lastly the king and the earl de Buff. These are greeted by a tremendous storm of vivats, vive le roy vive la nation. Let us suppose we can take up so point of vantage from which we can watch the procession, but with eyes different from other eyes, namely with prophetic eyes. See a man coming, striding at the head of the etat tall and with thick lips and black hair whose father and brother walk among the nobles. Close beside walks Dr. Guillotine, learned Dr. Guillotine, who said, quote, My friends, me, I have a machine that will whisk off your heads in a second and cause you no pain. Now doomed for two years to see and hear nothing but Guillotine, and for more than two centuries after, yonder a desolate ghost on this of the Styx mark two a small mean man a sea-green man with sea-green eyes robespierre by name a small underhand secretary walking beside one du tall and massive cruelty and vengeance on their faces we may not linger longer but one other we must note one tall and active with a cunning air, namely camille de moulin one day to rise to fame and the next to be forgotten. Many more walk in that procession, one day to become famous, Barret, future president of a new republic, and Maroc with Broglie, the war-god, and others. The Terre-État, with Mayor Barret, march to the rooms where they are to sit, but the doors are shut. There is a sound of hammering within. Mayor Barret knocks, and wants to know why they are shut out. It is the king's orders, HE WANTS HIS PAPERS. HE MAY COME IN AND GET THEM, AND WITH THIS THEY MUST BE CONTENT. THEY SWARM TO Versailles. THE KING STEPS OUT ON THE BALCONY AND SPEAKS. HE SAYS THE ROOM IS BEING PREPARED FOR HIS OWN AUGUST PRESENCE. A PLATFORM IS BEING ERECTED. HE SAYS HE IS SORRY TO INCONVENIENCE THEM, BUT HE IS AFRAID THEY MUST WAIT, AND WITH THAT HE RETIRES. MEANWHILE, PATRIOTISM CONSULTS AS TO WHAT HAD BEST BE DONE. SHALL THEY MEET ON THE PALACE STEPS, or even in the streets, at length they adjourn to the tennis court, and their patriotism swears one by one to be faithful to the new National Assembly, as they now name themselves. This is known as the Oath of the Tennis Court. I have placed before the reader examples of a portion of some thirty pupils' work to illustrate their education by books. It is not necessary to speak of their education by things, that is thorough and systematic but may i point out that what has been cited is average work i do not know if the reader considers that i have proved my point that is that studies schoolroom studies are for delight for ornament and for ability end of appendix 2 continued class 4